Welcome to Persisters, an all-female live show and podcast. Each episode showcases one artist. You'll hear their performance from our live show, followed by an interview with us, Beth Rowe and Alex Kern. Please listen and please subscribe. Hi, um, I'm Joey, and uh, this is Benjamin Jaffe, uh, my composer and co-writer on these songs we're working on, and we're going to do a couple songs for you. I'm as high as a kite Or a kid on a bike At the top of a really big hill Looking down at a really big thrill I'm as low as a well Just try to crush me now And I'm gonna Then I'm going down 
Hello. Welcome back to First Sisters. I'm Beth Rowe. And I'm Alex Kern. Alex, how are you? I'm fantastic. How you know are why? You? I'm good. I'm good. What? 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 Well, I'm just, I'm so excited. We have a bright, shining face that came out of the, uh, the, what's the it? woodwork, the, sick, the, the, the cave, the, the infirmer, what's it called? Infirmary. Yeah, the infirmary. Yeah. yeah. She's been, uh, <coughs> she's, oh, has, has had to nurse herself back to life just to get here. The one, the, the only, only, Joey Alley. <laughs> Hi, Joey. Hello. Joey got sick at Sundance. I always get sick at Sundance. I've had walking pneumonia twice walking out of that festival, so this is at the low end of bad experiences. When you have in like when you have pneumonia, do you have to take liquid out of your lungs? Um, what? No, yeah, it well, can be bad. Yeah, I've never. So walking pneumonia is the oh. one that, as the title implies, you can walk around with ostensibly, as oh. I did for like a month after Sundance each time. And so then, sleeping pneumonia is really the scary one. Yes. <laughs> the one where you go to sleep. Laying down pneumonia. <laughs> yeah. and then Sometimes don't you don't you wake up. You never lay down if you have pneumonia. That's like not the right <laughs> thing to be doing, obviously. Oh, man. I'm, I'm, we're glad you're healthy and happy. Thank you. And glowing. I'm great skin. Good. You know, you drink a lot of water when you're sick. So it's so yeah. true. Yeah. Give me a couple of days. I'll be back on the caffeine train. <laughs> <laughs> so you were in Sundance viewing or you were also. I in- was there um, in the capacity of um, I have a film <laughs> called The Hater that I'm uh, developing to shoot hopefully this summer. Great. I'm Yay-ish. knocking on my head right now. Um, and, uh, that I'm, I've written and I'm going to be directing and starring in. And we were part of, uh, Sundance Catalyst, which is like a smaller lab that they do effectively to like sit you down with financiers and see if they can get your thing up and running. That's so cool. it's a comedy. It's a comedy. So I, I hear there might be some musical numbers in this. Is that correct? Um, yeah, I don't want to tip my hat too far, but, um, <laughs> but there are, there are, there are a couple musical numbers. You love musicals. I, I love, I love musicals and I love music and I grew up you know, doing musicals and, and also music, writing music, um, and singing. And what musicals were you in growing? (laughs) Um, I would say my favorite that I was in was, uh, in college I did you're in town. Um, and I played hope Cladwell, which is also a political satire actually about a world where there's no water left and And you have have to pay to pee pee for the privilege to pee. Um, and, um, yeah, I just love that you can kind of like, in different ways break down the fourth wall um and uh and it's a like kind of like an inclusive journey that the audience goes on rather than just watching actors perform oh i think also just like film is exciting to me as a medium because you get to attack it on every layer like i mean there, you can do everything in a way that you can't do in a live performance or in other mediums it's like you're looking at it you're listening to it and you're hearing and watching a story happen at the same time, and it's really how you put those layers together that makes something kind of indelible or, or more forgettable. And I thought on this one, I'd be excited to throw it all in the pool. Did you, were there any musicals or any movies that you look to for inspiration or? Um, I'm not supposed to talk about comps. Oh my God. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll just say like, I mean, some of the th- my favorite things in the past few years I'll say my favorite, one of my favorite things in the past year has been, um, I really loved Eighth Grade. And I thought mm. that that film was really stunning for how simply, I guess, as I said before, like how simply the character and directly the character was addressed and how viscerally you, you felt you were inside of her world. Are you shocked that a man wrote it? Some people are like, I'm still shocked that a man was able to tap into a, like a, a female Teenage. adolescence yeah. point of view so well. You know, I think that everything requires, like, 
I don't know. I'm still going through my own journey with this because I think it's very complicated and in a world where we constantly talk about appropriation and who should be telling whose story and all those things. It's very complicated. But my perspective at this time is I really think that like you have to have like more than two points of contact with a character in order to be able to tell that story. And I mean that in terms of, you know, whether it's sexuality, race, age, um, perspective in the world, socioeconomic class, um, gender. Uh, and I think that he really connected with her in whatever ways he did from his own childhood. Um, and uh, that formed the basis of something that then he was able to explore with the individual who was creating the character with him, really, who was that actress, Elsie Fisher, who's amazing. And um, I think that, you know, that's part of the directing side is like kind of finding that honesty between you and the characters that you're bringing to screen by being really specific about all the details. And from what I understand about that film, and I'm not an expert on it, but it sounds like they had a very collaborative experience where, cool. you know, also improv was employed and all of those things, which I think just like allows, you know, it's like kind of your job to bring to the table, like, what do I want to say? And then a story becomes also the pieces that you put around that, um, which can be a lot of different things. And I also want to think of an inclusive world where we're all allowed to tell each other stories as long as we do it with incredible intention and detail. I agree. I, I, um, I read an article about you. Um, that said that you used uh, that you used improv to film your short partners that was in Sundance in 2015 2016 right? 2016 yeah. how did like what what elements of improv did you use or like how did you take away from the script and let them play from that yeah so I mean I've always worked in improv in my work so I um, my first two mentors really were um, Megan Griffiths and then Lynn Shelton and they both employ improv in their work um, and it's something that I'd always been interested in anyways was dramatic improv um, even more so than comedic improv um, you know trying to make it more real rather than making it more of a joke and it's something that I had used in Minimum Wage my first short and then um, they saw that Hannah and Jen Hannah Pearl uh, and Jen Tullock the incredible writer uh, dr- uh, writer uh, actors of Partners um, who had their film before you know it Sundance this year um, cool. uh, they had always come from that same space. So when we got together, it just like made sense that we would do that. And really it was something where I just tried to interject where I felt like things were, you know, going this way or that away, kind of like a director does. But basically uh, we just tried to create a space where they were able to kind of take it away and lean into the intimacy that they were already coming to the table with in that one. That's cool. So you, the minimum wage was your first short yes and that's 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 about a cocktail wage i have i've tried to find it and i couldn't well i could only find the trailer is we, it is that i'm not allowed to no find it, it. no we're just missing music right so it's not online yet but hopefully in 2019 oh okay <laughs> cool and and i was wondering yeah it's just it's about it's it's it stars um sarah ramos, ramos yes um and from ian uh parenthood yes most famously from parenthood and ian harding yeah the um and then that's about a, a cocktail waitress <laughs> who gets fired. Yeah, it's basically it's about a cocktail waitress who gets fired for, I feel like, very unfair reasons. Um, and uh, is thereby forced to find her rent money in another way. <laughs> um, I'd prefer not to go deeper into it than that. But basically, she's mistaken for being a prostitute. And she does something sort of crazy to get that money um, that is not prostituting herself. Um, and... Uh, yeah, that's an interesting one for me to look back on, actually, because I started writing that when I first started writing. I had that idea, like, 
because I had been solicited on the street, like on Thanksgiving in New York when I was still living there when I was like 23. Like somebody just like walked close to me was like, how much? And I was like, what? And I was just yeah. like horrified and biz- bizarred out. I was like, I'm not even wearing makeup. Like not that that should make any difference, but that was my first thought. You do have a great ass though. Thank you. Yeah. I was wearing a trench coat. I mean, maybe that was the problem. <laughs> I feel like, like you reacted the same way I've reacted the two times that somebody thought I was pregnant. And I was like, nope, just fat today. <laughs> Is that what you said? No, I wish. Oh. I think the second one, second time I said that, because I was like standing... And then the other time I was at a military base with my brother and somebody asked me if I was pregnant in front of my brother. And I was, I cried. And when we went out to dinner and I had a salad anyways. Uh, well, that's all sounds awful. And it was terrible. I hope know. someday I can make a film that helps, helps cross that over. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, I don't know, whatever. I had that idea that back then. And then um, I ended up developing it like through my first writing class I took out here. There was like, actually just like, I wrote a novella. Realized yeah, that. I wrote a novella that like had the story inside of it and then it developed into wow. this other thing. And it was really like the core idea always for me that had bothered me was I was like broke at the time when the guy asked me and I was like, I wish I could just like take his money but not have to do anything for it because like he's the wrong one for asking me. So I deserve a fee for that. Yeah. And then I kind of tried to figure out a way that that would ever happen in the world. And then I wrote the novella and then when I was on Lynn's film, Laggies, I wrote um, the short, and then uh, my friend Pierre Peterson, who was one of the producers from Lucky Them, Megan's film, came on to do it with me, and we just like made it right away, and it's it's now in the vault, but I need, <laughs> I need to pull it back out, because I actually think over the time, I've realized a lot of... If I, sometimes you make something, and then later you're like, oh, this is what I was getting to with that, and I didn't even realize mm-hmm. it at the time. Yeah. But really, that film is also about just like a woman who's just like being completely like S-H-I-T on by the world. I don't know if I can curse. You can say whatever you want. She is being fucked around with by this world. And, <laughs> she went from shit to you know, fuck real quick. It's like, at what point when you're just like have no options, yes, and. and the world is so unfair, is it okay? If, like, where does morality end, effectively, if that makes sense? Yeah. And your intersection with it. Where does your responsibility to intersect with your morality end? That's so cool. And then after that, you worked on partners. Is that? Yeah. So they, um, yeah, I got introduced through a friend to um, the, uh, to Jen and Hannah uh, through that short. And then, yeah, then we made partners in like a very inverse way. We were, we just like made it in like the whole thing happened in like two weeks, basically. Wow. Yeah. I, I also recently watched your uh, short Joy Joy and it was Joy so good. Joy. I, Thank um, you. The, and you talked about uh, like who should be telling what story, and it and Joy Joy is a story about uh, a a group of Asian women that are transported from Queens into like what like Westchester, would you say? Yeah, I based it around where I grew up in um, Connecticut, but we actually shot okay. in Westchester. Okay, cool, cool, cool. They uh, and and then they they have a nail salon, and Alex and I were talking about it uh, this morning about like because we were talking about Catherine Bigelow mm-hmm. directing Detroit. Detroit. And, and you were a white woman directing this story about uh, an Asian experience. And it didn't, I mean, I'm also a white woman, but I, I felt like the storytelling was so feminine and just needed a, and, and it needed a feminine touch. I thought you did such a good job with it because Thank I you. also was thinking about, did you see, have you watched Claws? I have not yet watched Claws, and I, I do really want to It's completely different, which was like, but I think that you really nailed the authenticity of so much of that, um, and it was it was great. Thank you. But with I, your I own touch. I appreciate that. Yeah. I feel like that film was a big, I mean, not I feel like, that film was a huge learning experience for me in, like, every possible way. Yeah. Um, but also, I mean, when I set out to make it, I had a massive amount of fear around whether or not I was allowed to tell that story. But what I intersected with and what I feel I made is I really wanted to make 
when I read the New York Times article that like inspired me to write it, it was it's not based on it, but um, what was it? It was called Unvarnished. Um, it's by Sarah Maslin near. It's incredible. It was an expose of the nail salon industry in the tri-state area. And when I read it, the thing that struck me most that I couldn't get over was like the caste systems internally inside these spaces, which should not shock and did not shock me, but it was like a stark reminder of how bullying persists and exists even in the smallest, most already bullied down of spaces. Every like there's because there's of course you know you're trying to protect yourself and there's like this these power imbalances. Um, and having been somebody who was bullied growing up, which is also a heavy theme in the th- in the hater, um, obviously, uh, you know, I felt like I could really understand not the exact space that that was taking in taking place in per se but the metrics of how that would those things would intersect and how they would interact inside of a space um and how the individuals would so i just set out to write basically like just a bully story that was set inside of a nail salon with these characters because i also think it's important to me to um you know work in spaces that we haven't seen on screen before necessarily um and uh, I thought that the most important part for me to realize from that film was that because of that fear, what I did was I went out and I was just like, I just found as many collaborators as I could and listened as hard as I could um, and as wide openly as I could to their perspectives on all the details relating specifically to Korean culture and Chinese culture because these characters yeah. are Chinese and Korean and down to like language and um and like accent authenticity of the actors and all those pieces. I wanted it to be a film that a Korean person in Korea or a Chinese person in China could watch and be like, this is real. These people are, you know, these people. Um, And uh, yeah, I'm now blathering. But I thought it was really important to just be very detailed on all those details. Because also, again, like it's like my perspective coming in, what I'm able to do is I'm able to tell a story about women in a confined space who are fighting with each other. That I understand. And I can't intersect with the other side, so that's where I need experts to intersect with me. It just felt like through a female gaze. Like, it was just, like, very obviously feminine, and 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 it, it resonates deeper when it is that way, I feel. For me, it did. Thank you. I Yeah, I mean, I think I only have the gaze I was born with, and I guess it's the, the female <laughs> one. So um, I'm very, I'm, I'm proud to carry it. Uh, but, yeah, I mean... I think that those are also, I understand what you're saying. I mean, I think that those are the details that are largely missing from me, for me from a lot of other films that feature any host of characters, including men. You know, like, I think that probably if I directed a film about all men, it would have the same kind of weird gaze shit going on. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but I think that, like, those, like, little... I like to think of it as like humanist filmmaking. It's like, I think a man or a woman equally or, or, or a, uh, you know, a, a non-binary person or a trans person, whatever, all of us, anyone can kind of like make something that is really intentional if they're really looking. And I think that that's just what I try to do in every film. That's cool. And you did that through AFI, right? Yeah, I did it through this incredible program that I have to plug, um, which <laughs> is the AFI, American Film Institute Directing Workshop for Women, um, it takes like eight women every year and gives them a free film education. And then you get to make your short with a bunch of support and guidance. And it is, it gave me like a whole host of incredible friends that I completely depend on for everything in life. And it was just the best thing. That's that's so cool. Yeah. And you applied to that with, uh, what did you do? apply to that with partners? And, uh, um, and So I, I sent in, my samples were, I sent in partners and minimum wage. Cool. Um, and then um, I had to send the Joy Joy script. So I actually wrote the first script for Joy Joy like for I that remember. program. Like, I the remember. Of. I was at your dining room table <laughs> and you were writing 
reading your essay and you're like, will you read my essay? Will you read it? Is it okay? <laughs> sure, I'll read your essay. And the I mean, New York Times was like right there. Yeah, like, I should say that the wow. AFIDWW is the best thing that ever happened to me besides meeting Alex in France. Like, oh my God, thank ago. you. Stop it. <laughs> oh yeah, so it, you guys met each other during your study abroad program. We have a good story. Yeah, our bonding story. story. Why don't you tell it, Joey? All right. Um, <laughs> well, um, you, you, mean, you mean the whole story or like oh, I don't know. medium story? I don't know. Your host mother? All right. Something leading Touché. up to that. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, basically, Ooh. like we landed in France. We were in this mixed program um, of a bunch of different schools. And so you went to Amherst, right? I went to Amherst. Cool. Yeah. Alex went to Georgetown. Um, and we got there and we were like, we kind of quickly fell into like the same groupish mm-hmm. of friends, yeah. but we individually for some reason, like never really hung out. Mm-hmm. And then one day we just decided to like, we were like out, like, you know, drinking wine during lunch as one does on study abroad. Um, and, uh, everybody else like went to go back to class and we were like, let's just keep drinking wine. I think that this is better. So we just did that. And, and then we went stoned. back to, and we, we got stoned. No, that's <laughs> what it was. We were like, let's get stoned. And then everyone was like, oh, I don't know. I don't know. And they went into their class and we were like, we're going to get stoned. <laughs> Accurate. So I, funny. Th- this was part of the nudge that was happening here. I was like, Alex, full story or small story? Oh, oh whatever. whatever. Who cares? It's legal. Um, so yeah, so we got stoned and then we went back to my host family's house <laughs> to take a nap. <laughs> like I had this little twin bed and we took a nap in the same bed and I loved my host mom so much. She was so wonderful. But she like came in the room and saw us in the bed and she was like, Oh, <laughs> and she left. And then later that night, she asked me if I, like, I had like un petit ami, like a girlfriend. So and funny. I was like, just of the friend variety. Not that that would be bad in any way. And she wouldn't think it was either. But I was oh, like, no, it's man. just my buddy. And then um, Alex had an opening in her family's uh-huh. house. And I was like, I'm coming over, girl. So we lived together for five months. Yeah. That's so funny. Yeah. And then you moved out. You moved to New York after college, right? Yeah, so I moved. Um, I actually, Alex and I were supposed <laughs> to move to LA. And were then, we? Yeah, and then oh my god, we I were going to move to LA, and then we I like were? changed my mind. Oh my god! Yeah, Alex, it was like our one big that. fight. We like didn't talk for two weeks. We because I never was like, oh, I want to live in New York. It was always LA for me. Really? Oh, oh, I think that Alex has blocked this out, and now I totally blocked this out. Sorry. Wait, remind me of our we big, were, huge fight. I do remember there was a fight of some kind. It was just, been a lot. That, that was it. Oh, okay. That was the fight. We were supposed to move to LA, and then I talked to Katie, and I was like, I think we should move to New York because I, honestly, at the time, I think I was just too scared to come out here. Like, I didn't really know anybody, and we wouldn't have known anybody, and I think that it would have been an amazing time. But all my friends from college were moving to New York. Anyways, whatever. Yeah, right. um, but yeah, we moved to New York instead, and then Alex came like a month later, and we yeah. lived in this like hilarious like oh my God. apartment in Chelsea. Where was the oh in Chelsea that had been turned over like a thousand? Oh times. my God, it was uh, one of those like massive Chelsea lofts. So we had an elevator that opened onto our apartment, which is pretty amazing. But the girl who was on the lease was, by the way, there were one, two, three, four, five bedrooms and six people living there. Um, and the, the woman who was on the lease was a props manager. So she would just keep all our props. So the entire, it was like a bowling alley set length of a living room. And it was just filled with her props. That's crazy. Her name's Alexis. We're still friends. <laughs> um, Hello. But um, cool, though. But yeah, no, it, I mean, that part was cool. The only part that sucked in this was not Alexis's fault was just that everybody would just dump all of their shit when they left. So like there was just like tons of just stuff there mm-hmm. um, that was non-proppy. But then we we did, I will say, we cleaned that place out real well. We had a really we had good this party. dope ass party called the Pinot and Pie Party. Mm-hmm. It was Pinot Grigio and pies. Mm-hmm. And you'd be 
be surprised so how many people fun. we got up into that loft for some Pinot and some pie. I mean, that insane. Sounds, yeah, so fun. It, it was, was really fun. so fun. It was massive. Yeah, we threw a lot of good parties. We we were very good party hosts. I was regaling Still about are. Our Still Christmas are. party the other day, our ugly sweaters party. That this was, was our great. next apartment in Gramercy. Mm-hmm. I don't know how much we should be talking about where we lived, but it was all very That's okay. Okay. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, that was a great party too. Yeah, that one was like, I think that like possibly 200 people came through oh shut up. our place that evening. Yeah. I just remember seeing like a Joey and I at one point when we were coming up with ideas of like, what do we write? What do we write? It always came back to like two girls who don't know what they're doing with their lives, but are really good at throwing parties. (laughs) (laughs) It's still in my computer somewhere. It's still Um, a great idea. Yeah. Yeah. I think we just like kept coming back to it and then being like, we can do better. (laughs) (laughs) Um, When when you were in New York, you weren't writing yet. Right? No. So Besides I, that well, idea about throwing parties with Alex. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I started writing... I mean, I had, like... Like, I had always felt like I was good, generally speaking, at, like, writing. Like, like literally putting sentences on a page. I'm like, this makes sense, and then this leads into this sentence. But I had never had an interest in it, really. I just always been like, I just want to act. I do not want to write. I do not want to do anything else. Anything else is a failure. Only acting. And then... Um, from actually just auditioning, and I didn't, again, like, it's not something I, like, clearly realized at the time, but I realized now, in retrospect, this is why this happened. Like, I think I was just, like, kind of horrified by a lot of the stuff I was auditioning for. It was, like, all, you sure. know, you start out going out for basement theater, mm-hmm. and, like, it's just terribly written in a lot of cases, and especially at that time, it was, like, pre a lot of the incredible female narratives that have come out in the time since, and, you know, so that wasn't even being pushed on. It wasn't even, like, make sure your female character is well-rounded. Like, the Bechdel test, what's that? You know, like, it was, like, before all of that stuff. And the Bechdel test, for people that don't know, is a female-written... It's... In order to pass the Bechdel test... The film has to have a scene in which two women are in a scene with each other in which they do not talk about anything related to the men in the film, basically. Like, yeah. or relate, I mean, it can There's be related like to their five jobs. Minutes of like five minutes of a scene that yeah. doesn't... I also feel like we might want to look up the definition of a Bechdel <laughs> test because I don't want to be misrepresenting No, this no, you're absolutely... You're, you're, you're right. It's like, it's, like it's, it's, yeah, it's yeah. women in a scene together that don't talk about the, men, yeah. that have nothing to do with men... I, it's like for at least five minutes because they can then talk about men and they can still pass the test. After the five minute mark? Yeah. Okay. That's Good a long know. scene. Yeah, that is a long Big scene. Big talker. Damn. Um, better be funny. Better be funny. Or moving. Yeah. It, those aren't the requirements. Better be laughing across. Okay. You, if you'd like to make an addendum. Okay, cool. Thank you. Yeah. Asterix. Um, but yeah, I don't know, whatever. I just basically, at some point, I, I guess I went to Williamstown as an apprentice that summer and then people were like, you should start writing again. And I was like, shut up the world and then I went home and had like this kind of family thing happen that required me to go home for a significant period of time and I couldn't act I was just like stuck in my house and through that kind of I just went crazy enough that I started like writing down what I would have been doing as an actor and then I went back to New York and started taking playwriting classes and then it was like a whole evolution it was like playwriting and I moved out here and I was just taking prose writing and then finally I I forgot that Joey I think yeah. I totally forgot that in New York you were taking playwriting classes. How long were you living? How long did you live in New York? I was there for, well, I grew up there when I was a kid. Um, so it felt like just like coming home. Um, and I was there every summer during college. But um, I was there, I guess I moved out when I was 24. So I think I was just there like two years, but it feels like, oh, wait, you, no, three years. I was there three years. And I was you there moved. Three years. That's crazy. It, oh, it feels because like so you moved longer. here and then, and then she left me. LA. She left me. Yeah. So I, I moved to you LA. guys came at the same time. No. no. I, I didn't mean to move to LA when I moved to LA. I actually came out. It's funny. Next weekend I'm going on this trip to Cayucas. 
Where is um, that? What's kind of It's Mid Coast, California. It's near Paso Robles. It's like my favorite little California town. Cool. Um, and uh, I went up there. I came out for a trip basically right before I that summer that I moved to LA um, to visit with my best friend from college, Annalise Robley. Um, and Chris Hoffman, and um, we went up to this house and hung out, and this is literally why I moved to L.A. I bought a piece of furniture that felt so much cheaper to buy in this small town than I could ever find in New York that I was obsessed with, and then I was like, okay, you know what I'll do this summer? I'll road trip out to L.A., I'll write all summer, and then I'll just come back to New York (laughs) just so I can pick up this piece of furniture, basically. And then it has now been characterized as like the piece of furniture that like changed my life because I don't know that I ever would have moved to LA otherwise. It was like not on my list of places I wanted to live. I was like, screw LA, I'm in New York forever, never, never. But that friend of mine, Annalise, was gonna be back for the summer and I hadn't lived near her in a bunch of years. And I was like, it'll be like a good change of pace. I'm not gonna intersect with the industry. And I didn't that whole summer. And then, yeah, I I got into Venice, right? I lived in Venice very isolated. I introduced myself as a hostess to everybody, even though I was writing. I was like, I'm just a hostess. That's all I'm doing this summer. I'm hostessing. Like, and I just, you know, and that was what I was doing. I was like, I just was taking time. Um, and then I got into a relationship and I stayed. Yeah. Wow. That's so cool. And then you, and then that's when you, and then you met the, um, what was your mentor's name who filmed? So then I like went to Sundance. This is a deep reaching interview. I feel like oh. I'm in, inside the actor's studio. I that's love it. right. You are um, inside the actor's studio. Uh, so then I was here for like, you know, I was trying to figure out still if I was going to go back to New York at the end of fall and I couldn't decide. And then my friend, uh, shout out Liz Wilkes. Um, I love uh, how you're giving everyone shout outs. <laughs> it's so sweet. I just like, you know, life is like a, like a bunch of hairpin turns that wouldn't happen unless people like were like in front of you being sure. like, go this way. And mm-hmm. yeah. they've all really mattered in different ways. And Liz was I, huge for me. I told you, you know, um, the woman who, who was like told me to move here. No. Courtney Hoffman. Oh my God. I met her when I came here on That's my spring so break in my senior year. She's a costume designer turned she's a director. She's a director. She's a director. But when I met her, she was doing costume design and, um, and she was at my friend Allison Rudnick. Shut out! Shut, shut out! <laughs> shout out! Shut out, Allison Rudnick! We keep doing oh, these no, shout outs. Yeah, of course, I and that's Allison. and she yeah. she was like, "What do you want to do?" And I said, "Oh, I'm an actor." She's like, "Well, what do you want to do?" She's like, "Do you want to do film and television?" I said, "Yes." And she said, "Then you should move here." And I said, "Okay." Back to you. Sorry. Good job, Courtney. That's so yeah. crazy. One of my, shout my out to people. Courtney. Shout out Courtney. Um, but yeah, back to shout out Liz Wilkes. Um, basically, my friend from college who was not involved in film at all at the time and um but just had like loved skiing um and was a ski instructor mm-hmm. had been going to Sundance for a number of years because she always has the beat on what's good to do and mm-hmm. loves culture and loves film um she's definitely intersected that way and maybe more in the future but at the time she was just basically like hey I'm going they'll put you up for free if you just come for two full weeks and I was like well I have nothing else as to a volunteer do. as a volunteer yeah and I was like I, yeah they don't just put you up just like regardless <laughs> but like as a volunteer and I was like well I have nothing else to do and I don't really know anything about indie film so okay and then I went there and like it's so cheesy but it like literally completely changed my life like I remember viscerally because I didn't know anyone like I didn't know a soul in the entertainment industry out here I was like an island that was floating into the that's not a thing. Whatever you got, what I mean. Yeah. Um, but uh, I remember just sitting in movies, and you talked about the female gaze, and it was like the really the first time, not the first time, but the first time I guess in bulk where I'd been able to see film after film after film by amazing female directors who then got up in person in Q and As and talked about their movies, and it was in one of those screenings in um, in the Off Hours, Megan Griffith's film that was there that year in 2011. I saw her speak, and I just like had this moment in the theater. I still remember the 
place I was sitting even, where I was like, I think that I would want to do this. Like, I, I'm writing, and I think actually I would want to do this. Yeah. And I'd really connected with the story, and I felt like I was something where I was, like, watching more of myself on screen than I'd, like, ever seen before because, you know, it was just such an invested, like, all those little pieces that make a, a character full on screen. Yeah. Um, and then, basically, I came back. I went another year very confused. Got a job at Whitewater Films. Shout out Rick Rosenthal. Shout out Burke Kern. Shout out uh, Nick Morton. Um, and... Uh, <laughs> Uh, I was the assistant there and then through that shout out Michelle Witten um, <laughs> <Shout> out <laughs> uh, my friend that. Michelle who was there um, at the time editing introduced me to Megan um, also I friends. was there for that meeting too which is so oh weird God, that's true so weird so I came out in February of 20 the reason I remember this is because I was like that was the skinniest I've ever been um, <laughs> it was February of 2012 and I remember I we drove to Whitewater and then I like napped in the car because I didn't have a car like an idiot and then I came to the tacos <laughs> I came to like the tacos lunch thing and then Michelle was there and you like I'm sorry Megan was there and then you freaked out and that's when it all started happening. I was like well who is the what and it, that was crazy yeah Megan and Lacey Levitt the producer and I was just like they're right. both here what's going on my face is melting yeah and then you know that that resulted in me continuing to behave that way probably around them for an uncomfortable amount of time as I got to know them over the next several months. But basically that fall, I got to a place where I was like, I've been in this job for a year. And as you know, you know, being an actor, it's like, it's very scary to get a desk job. Like it was my first desk job I'd ever Terrifying. had, but I was yeah. like so committed to learning about directing. I was like, I will do this. Like whatever about acting for now, I'm just going to go do this. But at the end of that year, I was like, I need to get on set. Um, and I went out to see a screening of Megan's film Eden, which was incredible. Um, and afterwards we went and got a beer and, uh, basically after I'd slurp my beer, I was like, please let me come do anything for you next time you make a film. Like I just have to learn. And I forever am indebted that she two weeks later emailed me and was like, I have a film going in Seattle. I've never had an assistant before, but if you really want to do this, like I'm happy to have you basically. And I was like, yes. So I moved up wow. to Seattle and worked for her. And then she introduced me to Lynn. And then I ended up working with Lynn. Um, and I mean, just the 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 lineage of also male female, male support. I mean, Rick hiring me and then introducing me to Michelle, but then Michelle introducing me to Megan and Megan introducing me to Lynn. It's like, it's really incredible looking back at that experience. Like I would not be the filmmaker I am without the support and the open arms of of those directors and 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 artists um, kind of inviting me in and in a uh, in an open manner. Yeah. yeah. There's something to be said about the world needing more female directors and female writers. And, and when you, like, coming from a place of being an actor first, you're, like, when people are inviting you in or accepting you as, like, into the industry, you're, it's almost like, wait, what? why? <laughs> How, why are you just, this is so much easier than in an actor because it's like kind of boils down to like a numbers game right in my opinion mm -hmm. like there's just so many actors and not enough jobs and there's not enough female writers or female directors so people are more open to it I or welcome sort of I mean honestly I think that it's a case-by-case -case basis I think that there's a problem more broadly in our world where women have been taught to fight with each other for jobs and everything sure. else. And I feel incredibly lucky that I got kind of like slurped up into the Seattle system because Seattle was a beautiful and wonderful place for me to go learn from these women who really and own that space. it's outside of New York and L.A. Yeah. You can kind of... Yeah, and, I, and not to like throw shade on anything here, I know incredible women that are doing this for other women here as well, um, you know, every day. Um, but this was but before it was kind of 
popular sure. to do. Yeah. But the, that women were on your side and yeah. yeah. No, but these are just like two, but that's the thing is like, these are just two extraordinary humans sure. who were so inviting of me um, and like allowing me to like learn from them and be right there with them and embracing me. I mean, it makes me want to cry. Like I just, it, cool. it is the difference in our lives as writers and directors, whether or not we are able to receive that kind of mentorship and, um, learning because you know women also have to be ten times as good as the next literally guy, mm-hmm. um, and I know that I would not be if I hadn't learned all the lessons I learned on those sets. That's I so remember cool. I visited one day um, Arvon and I came out and I was you were like oh to you Seattle be a, yeah you'd be a PA for the day and they were so kind to me it mm. was unbelievable I, I, I instantly and. I was on set. Like, who trusts some, I don't know, the random girl that's like, hey, I'm here. Can I, like, have a walkie? <laughs> okay, well. You know, and Tony Collette's there on, uh, on set acting. And I, it was just, like, so insane. And I was just so astounded by, by really the kindness of everyone. Yeah, I mean, it's also, like, something that they talk about in Seattle is they call it Crutopia. <laughs> um, but it's real. I mean, I think that there's this really big impetus up there. And it's, it's created by these people in a top-down manner, but it infiltrates everything then of just making sure that kindness is is foremost on set. And I really believe that in the kind spaces that we can, if we can find a kind space with one another as a crew, regardless of what you're doing, that produces the best product overall. So it's also the most beneficial in like a capitalist sense, but also just sure. on a human level, it, it, create, it, it eliminates boundaries and creates spaces for great art to happen. Do you yeah. have any um, favorite movies of the year? Oh, I guess you already said eighth, eighth grade. grade. I love. Right. Um, I mean, I loved the favorite. I loved. Leave I no love trace. the favorite. I haven't seen that. Wait, what is that? Deborah Granick's film. Um, uh, who's in it? Uh, it's Ben Foster, and I am forgetting the name of the younger oh, actress who was exceptional. Um, but uh, it's uh, her follow-up. Um, I mean, she she also made Winter's Bone, which is another one of my favorites. Right, 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 right. But it's okay. just it's just exceptional and like a really fascinating take on. To me, to me, a fascinating take on what capitalism is doing to our country. But yeah, and then I mean, a slew more. I'm like the worst because, like, in these moments, I'm like, what have I seen? I watched I like know. six movies like in the past three days. I'm like, what did I watch? What did I watch? That was good. Um, oh, Sadie. Uh, Megan made a new film this year called Sadie. Uh, that. Um, it's just a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful film that like is both a wartime film and also just a coming of age of a young girl. It's stunning. I really recommend everybody see that. And then, you know, Outside In, which is oh. this really beautiful film about, I mean, honestly, all these films are just about humans, but I would say at the core of that film, it's really about, you know, our our prison system and the and the way that it intersects with our culture in America and and uh, the ways that it doesn't intersect so well. And um, who made that film? Isn't rehabilitative. Um, Lynn Shelton made that film. Oh, okay. So one of your other... Yeah. So, you know, also, I I think I really align with these women because they're tackling really tough themes, but they're making really beautiful art out of it. Mm -hmm. Cool. It feels like you're somebody who just kind of evolves as an artist every couple of years. Like, you start out doing something, and then you go on to something else. Is that because you're, you're, you're... always curious about something or is it that like you want to try something new 
I feel like I'm like a weird bird in some ways because like now I'm so intensely like this is going to be my life forever and I'm obsessed yeah. with it. But I didn't find it not until a late age, but it, until a later age than, you know, a kid that like grew up with like, a camera in their hand being like, this is what I'm doing. Um, and during all those years when I could have had a camera in my hand, I was instead watching like every commercial film growing up and then have spent the past, you know, eight years watching every indie film and going back and watching older indies wow. and international film cinema. And I had had obviously like pieces of that growing up. It's not like I had none of it, but the point being, I feel like I just love a lot of different kinds of films. And I think that stories can be told on a lot of different scales and a lot of different ways and uh, have different impacts, but I think they're all like important and fascinating. And I don't want to be bored in my life. Um, mm-hmm. But I also want to, but I also think like, not only because I don't want to be bored selfishly, but because I think when you get bored with your work, your work just gets less sharp and fresh. And audiences today, I mean, and I think always, but like, you know, today it's like film's been around for a while. Like we have to find ways to put people into seats, make people want to get into the seats and then make them want to stay there and forget that they're in a seat and think that they're inside the movie. So to me, continuing to kind of twist and figure it out um, is part of that. But honestly, it's not even that heady. It's more like every time like I've like made something, it's because like a story has come to me or I've read something, or I've thought of something, and I've been like, I look at it, and I'm just like, what makes most sense for this? Yeah. And you know, with um, minimum wage, like that was my most like nascent, like raw, like what do I think goes into film? I was just figuring it out, and it kind of took this dark comedy chunk. So I think that's kind of the way I look at the world, I suppose. Hmm. Um, uh, and then you know, partners took more of a direct comedy tone. I think that that was also like working with um, Jen and Hannah, and like embracing their tone and. Um, actually having just watched Transparent right before I, I made that, which I was obsessed with and just loved like the grounded, yeah. um, like very tossed feeling inside of the humor. Um, and then Joy Joy, I really wanted to feel like Clueless that became Blue Ruin, sort of. I just wanted it to be like this bright, splashy thing that we were like, it's fine, everything's fine. And then like, it was just like, oh God, but then came back around at the end. And I think it's like, you know, I, now I'm rambling, but I guess basically I'm saying, I think like every time it's like the story kind of tells you what it wants you to do and to artificially prescribe like, well, this is exactly how I do it. Like, that's just not, that's not interesting to me. That's not as exciting to me. People always are going to want to put people inside of boxes and see the same thing over and over again. And I'm going to make comedies in my life and I'm going to maybe end up making, I don't know what I'm going to end up making. But I also think it's exciting to try to push outside of those boxes because I think that there are a lot of ways that you can turn a thing and find different edges of it, and that's more compelling than watching the exact same thing come out again and again and again and again. Sure. Do you have advice for young filmmakers? My advice? I mean, everybody's just different, so it's, like, hard, right? Because it's, like, what's right for somebody is not right for somebody else. I only know what I experienced, and I felt like the pieces that have made me able to move forward in my life and career, when I look back, the pieces that have made the biggest impact were mostly making things. But I don't mean that to say just running out and making something because you have the idea and you just make it that day, always. Sometimes that makes sense. Sometimes that makes sense. Other times it makes sense to like not do that and like sit on it for a while and think about it. But I would say like make work as frequently as you can while still giving maximum intentionality and emotion to every project you have. That's great. Yeah, because I think that it's just like nothing moves your life and your career forward like making work, both internally and externally. People being able to see your work is better than you talking about it and what you want to make. And also for you, having made it is a better lesson than just sitting there and stewing about whether or not it'll be okay forever. You don't know until you get on set. So get on set. You, um, in between, because you did perform two songs for us, The in between the songs you talk about how... 
uh, you talk about the Me Too movement and everything that's happening in Hollywood. Just thinking on this evening's topic of boundaries, uh, I actually wrote that song last spring, kind of right as Me Too was hitting, and I was also starting to songwrite again after a long time away from it. And I started out trying to write a love song, and then I kind of realized in the end what I'd written was a weird love song to the industry that I live in, um, and uh, how stimmied I felt. I think there are so many terrible things about what came out in that, and, and obviously it's so amazing and important that it has come out, but for me a lot of it was just the feeling of, my God, the system that is keeping us down as women is now on the surface and, and visible. How is your kind of perspective, how has it changed since the Me Too movement and how are you persisting and changing that world or contributing to the change that's needed in our industry? Me Too is such an incredibly important movement that I think was both the least shocking thing that has ever happened and also the biggest slap in the face or punch in the gut because it has forced all of us to stand up and acknowledge what we already know to be true. And I certainly was somebody that I think was living perhaps choosingly, perhaps because I was raised by parents who never treated me like I was a woman or a man, just was like a person. You know, I've always, I, I, until me too, I feel like I never really reckoned with or acknowledged ways in which I had been slighted in other ways, not sexually per se, but like in other senses for being a woman and for my gender. And it really has been a massive eye-opener. And I think that it was, you know, it, it, it was and is and continues to be and must continue to be something that is at the forefront of our conversations. I think that for me personally intersecting with it, the biggest thing has been <laughs> not to quote Ivanka Trump, but <laughs> <laughs> don't get mad, darling, get everything. <laughs> and so to me, funny. it's the same thing as what I said about, you know, advice to young filmmakers. It's like, to me, the fight back is trying to make my work and intersect with as many people as possible and raise women and bring women to the forefront more than ever, but also be somebody that can hopefully form a bridge as well between our gendered spaces in my work and in our culture, because I think that the only way forward for us really is to see each other on screen in completely true ways and to work with one another and find a way to kind of, you know, acknowledge and, uh, and hold to accountability the forces that have been wrong and been wronging us, but also find a way forward. And I think that that is, is through the work. Do you feel a shift? It's a hard question. I mean, I feel like I have been honestly the most lucky supported person since I started this. I also know that that started with women and women and women and also Rick Rosenthal. So like women and like one incredibly feminist man, like writing my recommendations and like being behind me. And um, I've been so lucky, fortunate, whatever. We're not supposed to use the word lucky anymore, but I still think it, I think that all of life is a combination of luck and you being prepared when the luck shows up. So both certainly, but I also have to say, yeah, I mean, I go in meetings all the time at places and, you know, you sit, it is disheartening to still sit at down and after we've heard all these things about things changing, hear the slate of these places, including things that are just recently announced and hear about how, you know, the, basically the whole slate is men and in many cases, men directing female-led narratives. I honestly do not necessarily have feelings about whether or not about who's directing what as long as they're incredibly intentional again but I do think we need to make space and not just for like women and men it's not just a women men thing it's like also non-binary people trans people um people of color like I mean there are so many people we need to find a way in this industry to all be working 
in the appropriate proportions, like for like how we're represented in this country, like and how we how many of us are, you know, like what we are doing here. And then I would love like if I walked in and I heard that they had a slate that was like, let's say just to boil it down, 50-50 men and women, right? Or yeah, let's just just to make it simple. But if I heard that and then heard that like, you know, all the men were directing female narratives and all the women were directing male narratives, I'd be like, that's fine with me. Like just to make it for a very simple format of discussing this. Mm -hmm. But I think it's disheartening to go in and hear that it's all men across all spaces. I do think that until we achieve something more like, you know, uh, a true split, we have to advocate for at least ourselves to be telling our own stories. And yeah. Joey, Allie, you are a gem. Joelle and Allie. I love you guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.